Hello and welcome to Monday Night Therapy with John and Todd. Or John and Todd's Monday Night Therapy. Or Todd and John's. Okay, whatever. Uh, but we're here. We're here. It's a Monday night. It's the Monday night after Christmas. Todd, do you remember this? Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I remember that. Remember how innocent we were? We were very innocent. We were so innocent. <laughs> okay, where do we start? Did you have a well, Christmas? We had, yeah, we had a little Christmas. Uh, had had uh, actually the week before we went over to my daughter's and and uh, spent some time over there with my daughter and her husband and the the little six month old, five month old, whatever she is, and had a little Christmas cheer there. And then Sunday, Christmas Day, we had Christmas with my my family, my brother and his family, my mom and dad. And uh, yeah, I scored pretty good. You know, I uh, I didn't have an extensive list for Santa Claus this year. My number one item on my list was brown liquids. And uh, <laughs> it, it was brown liquids last year too. And so, you know, I figure I'm good with coffee. I'm good with beer. I'm good with bourbon. And um, I scored coffee and beer this year. And that's good. I, it you, works you for me. You probably water out of a Nebraska creek. Well, I, you know, I, I that hasn't been given to me yet. Um, I suppose somebody could dip a cup into a sewer system too, you know, um, probably give that to me. But uh, no, uh, so far, you know, I've, I've scored pretty good for Christmas. So it was good well, seeing we, family. And I don't know, you know, it's I, we're kind of in transition living in this apartment and um It'll be it'll be nice, maybe to have a little more of a traditional Christmas a year from now. James so, Boardman um, says I was gifted the flu. Yippee! Yeah, we were <laughs> gifted. We were gifted that thing that's been going around the last two three years. My wife was anyway, and it's not been a, you know, it's not been the best Christmas ever. But we we got to FaceTime. My son lives literally a block and a half, maybe a block away from me. And all my kids and everybody gathered at his house, and we faced, my wife and I FaceTime with him to open their presents. And I, I, I got this. Yeah, I, I have props this time. I have uh, sweet corn artificially flavored baked snack skips, sticks called pretz. I didn't, and then uh, I got this, which is Ragnarok, God of War Ragnarok. Which is a really excellent game. I love playing video games because they're, they're how I veg out. Except that this one is way too fast for me. Um, I have to set it down to the more story, less combat setting, which really bothers me a lot. And then uh, I, I also have this, Todd. Because what would Christmas be without cheese balls? There you go. Industrial size cheese balls. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, hey, David Matney says, I got my coronation shirt. You know, I think coronation scored pretty well over the holidays because I saw on different places, I saw coronation t-shirts. I saw the Cobby really? sweatsuits. You know, holy moly, the word, the gospel, the gospel of coronation is being spread in the form of apparel. That It works for me. I didn't know what I was doing when I got into this, but I'm learning. You know, I gave my uh, I gave my cobby jacket away to my nephew who's in sixth grade, and apparently, <laughs> apparently in Grand Island, I have a sixth grade class that is like a cult following or something. I don't. That's just they were describing all this to me when I met with my family, and I found it a little bit 
uh, well, kind of weird. I found it weird. And then well, uh, <laughs> I gave my uh, my cobby hoodie away to my mother-in-law and said, give it to one of my nephews when they show up here. So I don't know who got it, but, you know, there you go. <sighs> well, I'll tell you what, um, uh, I'll bet, I'll bet that uh, that jacket that's in Grand Island, I'll bet that's really popular among sixth graders. I think I think sixth graders would find that jacket the cat's meow. Roger Moore says, I saw a coronation shirt in Colorado winning. Well, that, you know, that is, I'm glad to hear all this stuff. I guess, you know, I just, I just, uh, <laughs> I just tried, I, you know, I just tried through the website together, through designs up that, uh, you know, I had and weren't being used. And I guess things are going well. But, you know, I appreciate the sport. I'm sure Todd appreciates the sport. Maybe when you see him in person, would Todd get Todd some brown liquids. Uh, <laughs> OK, OK. What do we got for news, Todd? Do you know? Well, What's you know what? We had we had a kickoff news item, but I'm going to change it because <laughs> Kingsley Gibbons has uh, thrown a comment on there and you know, I've I thought about this today with uh, the fact that our former uh, leader of the football program now has a five million dollar mansion in uh, outside, well, in the Phoenix area, with a beautiful view of Camelback. I must say, um, you know, I'm a I was a principal for 23 years, and one of the things that um, grew in importance as I. Uh, continued through my profession and, you know, because there are a few things that change, a few things that change in school, was the focus on careers. And, you know, you'd have, you know, some schools had career days or you'd bring in people from different professions to talk to your kids um, or you'd, you know, take tours and whatever. But, you know, along that whole idea of identifying what your strengths and weaknesses are, you know, exploring different opportunities that might fit with what your interests are, what your strengths are, you know, all of that kind of stuff connected. And it is apparent to me that whenever I sat down with kids and whether it was one-on-one -on -one or with a guidance counselor and, you know, we're suggesting things that they might want to think about or pursue, we were channeling kids in the wrong direction. We were, we should, I mean, I think the profession that has the greatest benefit with the least amount of output is fired head football coach. We need to start encouraging young people to aspire to be fired division one football coaches. Because if you're a fired division one football coach, you too can buy a $5 million mansion with five bedrooms and five and a half bathrooms. You know, I mean, these guys get fired and they never have to work another day in their life. It is incredible the way that they set these contracts up. So, you know, instead of aspiring to be an accountant or maybe aspiring to be a welder or, you know, a, a lawyer, you have there, to put lawyer. lawyers in there. They're always in there. They're everywhere. Well, yeah. I mean, instead of having aspirations like that, we need to encourage kids to become fired football coaches. Fired football coaches, not, not successful football coaches. No, fired football coaches. Lonnie Kittleman says, fire me now, please. Lonnie, are you a football coach currently? 
because uh, <laughs> you know if you are, you may be uh, entitled to significant payouts, and uh, you know. Uh, I saw the Scott. I saw Husk guys on Twitter tweet the thing about Scott Frost's new house, and my response to him was, "I've uh, never heard of him." And that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of where I just want to go with that. I just, honest to God, you know, it's. I think it's time. It's time for all of us just to move away. You know, it's past time. It's in the past. Let's not worry about it anymore. We've got you know. Look, Scott Frost is entitled to whatever Scott Frost has and, you know, the life he's going to leave. And uh, good, good luck, Scott. You know, let's let's uh, there we go. Roger Moore is dropping out of med school to become a fired football coach. See, I, Roger, God bless you. I think you're headed in the right direction. There's a T-shirt in this somewhere. I think so. I think so. <laughs> my, my son got a T-shirt that says bring back smoking on planes. Which he will wear with pride and irritate people. Okay, well, I, I think the go no, ahead. the the big news. The I think the bigger news, more important news today, certainly, is that Chancellor Brewington has announced that he's going to leave the Nebraska football program uh, and enter the NFL draft. Um, you know, I'm I'm not an NFL draft expert or a NFL scout. I have no credentials along those lines. Um, I find it interesting that Chancellor Brewington is possibly considered uh, an NFL draft pick. I mean, um, you know, he, he, he doesn't come across to me as, you know, one of the top tight ends in America. And, and you know, we've seen a lot of tight ends drafted, you know, from Nebraska and from other Big Ten schools in recent years. Seems like the Big Ten's kind of been a hotbed for tight ends. Um, and I don't know that Chancellor Brewington fits in that mold, but I guess where I'm coming from with it is I'm sad to see the guy go. He's he's yeah. he's played a bigger role. He played a bigger role this year than he did the year before. It's fun watching him play. He doesn't he doesn't shy away from contact. Um, and and the guy's got some athleticism. I mean, you know, it's they they ran him on some special plays, some gadget kinds of plays where he had the ball. Um, I, I, boy, it, it would have been nice to see Chancellor Brewington part of this football team for at least for next season, in my mind. I, I think his best – I do a doubt that he gets drafted. I haven't looked at his NFL draft stuff either. But, I, you know, a guy like that, though, might just end up on an undrafted free agent and be able to get on a squad that, you know, he, or he maybe can prove himself and show some of his skills because he did make some good plays. And Kingsley Gibbon said they didn't use him enough this year. I have to agree with that. I think his biggest problem is just not not getting enough opportunity to show what he can do. So, I mean. Yeah. Well, we there's no a, question about that. If we had a quarterback that wasn't constantly on run for his life, I have, a, I have, I have become the process of flushing the entire last season out of my head. Like you talked earlier about some guy that bought some nice house somewhere. No idea. Portal, Never heard Todd. Of the guy. Portal. 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 Um, Are we going to do this do like until one of us starts the <laughs> – So how do you like – how do you like the uh, – okay, John, if you're uh, – 
Well, we'll play a couple of scenarios out. Just from your perspective, John Johnston, uh, Nebraska football fan, what do you think of the portal? I think that it gives people an opportunity to get out of the situation that they're in. Uh, I Texas Hudson Card, quarterback, quarterback at Texas, uh, Hudson Card is transferring to Purdue today to play for new coach Ryan Walters. You know, I think that's a good thing for him because I think Hudson Card, you know, got uh, overlooked. Who was it? Quinn Ewers was the guy. He's gonna yeah, from Ohio State. Yeah. So Hudson Card gets to transfer. He doesn't have to do all this bullshit with the NCAA. Remember how they'd like, oh, maybe we'll grant you a favor and maybe we won't, but we're sure as hell going to take our time to wait till the last minute. But I, I think that it's overall a good thing. On the other hand, these are young people, and there seems to be a whole crap ton of them entering it and not really finding places to go. So I think Nebraska has had a, well, let's just say a crap ton uh, go into the portal. And I, th- I, I, I have three. Now, admittedly, in the last few days, uh, I haven't been paying attention as closely as I should because, I don't know, you know, I had to come back early because the winter was terrible and I didn't want to get stuck in the same crappy situation I was when I drove to Nebraska. But So we got Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. I don't think he's found a home. DeColdis Crawford, not found a home. Uh, I mean, I could go through this whole list, but I guess, what, 15, 18 people, 20? Yeah, I think we probably had in a ballpark of 18 to 20 players that went in the portal. And like you said, we've only heard of three that have hooked on somewhere. Ernest Hausman is at Michigan. Jock Wes Yant is at Florida A&M. Right. And then uh, that Gould, I can't think of his last name. Jamie Gould? Jaden Gould. Jaden Gould is at Syracuse. Right. And, you know, to me – um, you know, we heard at one time, and I don't, I'm not even going to throw a number out because I'd be way off, I'm sure. But, you know, there's a, a few thousand uh, <laughs> athletes that have gone into the portal. And, you know, I think some of them are going in there with the attitude or at least with the belief that they're going to get recruited like they were, um, you know, coming out of high school. And that does not appear to be happening. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I I think you're running a risk. And I guess maybe it is kind of a way to thin the herd. You know, maybe it's the herd thinning itself, so to speak. Um, You know, John and I are old enough that we remember back in the day when uh, Nebraska, you know, and had the Tom Osborne walk-on program with a lot of players. You know, uh, Nebraska had... Uh, a freshman football team that played a five-game schedule every year. And uh, it was very common that, you know, you'd use up one year of eligibility playing on that freshman team, and then you would redshirt your second year on campus. And this was almost to a player. I mean, it was across the board. And at the end of that redshirt year, you know, the coaches, the coaching staff would have conversations with players and basically say it would be in your best interest to move on. Um, you know, if, if you want to play, if you want to play meaningful snaps, you know, at, at the college football level, it's going to be in your best interest to, to go somewhere else and play. And, you know, at, at a different time, different era. 
uh, there were a lot of guys whose dream it was, you know, to run out of that tunnel on Saturdays and, and to be recognized on senior day, whether they, you know, ever played the game or not, you know, wasn't the priority. They wanted to contribute to the Nebraska football program. They wanted to be known as a Nebraska football player. Um, but, you know, times have changed and some of these guys come in and they're not getting the playing time they want or a coach leaves, you know, that they um, were very close to and uh, they had that opportunity to move on. Um, but I think there's got to be a pretty high level of disappointment uh, at this point in time because I'll guarantee you some of those guys, I'm sure they expected that they were going to get picked up and, and they haven't. You know, uh, I know when Frost came in that there were some players that he, I don't want to use the term ran off, but they basically told that you're not going to play football here. We will honor your scholarship. And I know <laughs> I know from talking to one of them's mother that uh, the guy was able to complete, I, I mean, he was able to keep a scholarship and able to complete a, uh, I think, a master's degree. Uh, without having to pay for anything because uh, Nebraska was, I don't know, generous or they honored their commitment, I guess, whatever perspective you want to take. But you, you'd hope that some of them would have that opportunity. I mean, the thing about it is is you do have to pay back those student loans. I mean, at a certain level, we probably shouldn't go there. <laughs> well, but, but, you know, having a scholarship and not having a scholarship, so I don't know. I guess, you know what, it's an opportunity for him. And if you're going to, you know, screw up the opportunity and disappear, I, you know, I hope you're getting good advice from people. That's all, I, that's the biggest thing about it. I think this is all new, you know, in a five, ten years from now, we're going to look at it probably differently. But, you know, right now it's a little nuts and there's not much, there's not much regulation and there's not, um, you know, there's not much control. Okay, what else? What anything well, else you know, on the portal? Yeah, another thing about the portal. I'll just throw a couple things out there. For, you know, shifting gears real quick, and we'll come right back. Is that John Cook? You know, tapped into the portal and brought in a, another outside hitter. You know, that played at Florida the last couple of years, and you know, it's not the first time that the volleyball team has gone into the portal. They brought the center blocker in uh, the middle. Uh, from Penn State last year. Um, so, you know, not unheard of. They brought Lexi's son in as a transfer a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, I guess, actually. But um, I think that was pre-portal. That was just a straight-up transfer. Um, but, you know, uh, that's we won't diagnose all of that. You know, people might be saying, what, we, we got another outside hitter? What are we going to do with her? Well, maybe we're going to run a 6-2 offense, but different story, different time. Um, the, but I, I think something else is kind of interesting. and um, I think we may shift to the portion of our show commonly referred to as Iowa sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that, um, you know, Kirk, bring back the 1970s Ferentz. Um, even the Iowa Hawkeyes are tapping into the portal a little bit. You know, they um, – have brought in some players and, and, you know, uh, Kirk Ferentz has always done things a little bit different. Um, kind of, he's the epitome of an old school guy. Um, you know, he was the one that, uh, would basically, once a kid committed, you know, they, he considered that signing on the dotted line and, you know, you didn't dare 
look at another school or communicate with another right. school. I mean, that's, that's right. the way that he approached things. Your your word is is your bond, so to speak. And you know, Iowa doesn't appear uh, to to be real interested in jumping in the the nil nil stuff. You know, John's going to talk a smidge about that in a minute here. Um, but you know, they also were very resistant to the portal. In fact. Um, Iowa had, uh, you know, before this year, had spent very, very little time uh, even considering bringing players in. Well, you know, they've, they've recognized that they've, they're going to have to compete and they're going to have to uh, bring some people in. But this is our opportunity, you know, to sit there and scratch your head and say, what the hell's going on with Iowa when they apparently want nothing to do with nil. So, John, what what uh, fill us in here a little bit? I know we're going to talk nil in the future, big time. Okay, but. so college football, Reddit college football, which is, you know, they have a pretty good-sized community, and their Twitter account is certainly very active. But uh, somebody out there on the Twitter, Bill, uh, posted something about Iowa ending partnership with their nil collective uh, the Swarm, it was the largest nil collective, apparently, for Iowa. And they say, today we were told that Iowa Athletics will not support us any further and will not comply with our request unless we comply with Title IX and raise money for all Hawkeye sports. They basically, wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out. <laughs> Iowa? Yeah. yeah. Took a you position? Know, that, the the on, school the school on, that has had to deal with how many lawsuits with uh, problems with women's sports you know and <laughs> some kind of virtue signaling you know with the whole nil thing uh, but the, the the guy this is a complaint from this nil collective about how they did these videos and they wanted to send them out to people in the Iowa you know, space and, and start getting this thing going. And it's all been, uh, it's all been killed. Well, I, I tell you what, John, and, and, you know, schools are struggling with nil schools are struggling with the portal. Those are two things that have a life in college athletics of, you know, maybe two years. And both of them came when the NCAA is at its absolute weakest in terms of its authority. And NCAA didn't want to touch either one of them. They, you know, in fact, they, they tried to get Congress to take some kind of action so they wouldn't have to. And with, you know, the combination of the portal and nil money has turned Division I college athletics into the wild, wild west. There is going to need to be some kind of controls. There's going to have to be some kind of consistency and regulation over both of them to have any. To this have is any free market point. capitalism, Todd. Come well, on. We're in America. I, I, understand, I understand that. But, uh, you know, it, uh, yeah, well, we'll talk more about this down the line. <laughs> Okay, should we, should we, anything else? Portal? No, no. Okay. No. I have to find the articles. I have gobs of windows up. Okay. All right, switching things around, moving things around. Matt Rule. Matt Rule has a whole gob of guys. A whole gob. On his code, a whole gob. 
That's uh, more than three, I think, is a, you know, I, shit ton, more than five. Well, you know, we've, with with previous coaches and, you know, we've, we've lived through quite a few of these uh, transitions where we sit there excitedly waiting <laughs> to find out first who the offensive coordinator is and the defensive coordinator and, and then, you know, the position coaches and, you know, Matt Rule still has uh, two position coaching, uh, two two position coach jobs are still open. I think the linebacker job and the wide receiver position, those are still both open, which would lead one to believe that the coach that he's after either is coaching an NFL team that's still in playoff contention or is coaching on a college team that is playing uh, in a big bowl. And so – you know, those are going to happen. Uh, they've recruited, you know, shoot. You know, Nebraska is bringing in, I think, four linebackers. So, you know, in this recruiting class. So my guess is, is that they're communicating with those players who the linebacker coach is, but they are not going public with whomever it's going to be. Um, but, you know, what has been interesting to me is the the other staff that he's been hiring. Um you know, it's college football has turned into, you know, like a corporate business structure. And it looks a lot more like the NFL. And Matt Rule had a couple of years experience in the NFL. Um, and I, I'll tell you what, if, if people want to know, well, what's the difference between Matt Rule and I don't whoever that guy was that coached last year. Um, it's how to put together, how to structure a football program, quite honestly. And that is um, true. That is very true. much so. I mean, there's a lot of structure. Um, there's a, a you know, uh, he, he is putting together a staff that will probably rival, you know, the top programs in the country. Um, but what I found particularly interesting, John, you referenced corporate America quite a bit in some of your examples. But there are two people that he uh, that they released today information on that really um, I find interesting. And one of them is Jarrett Wilson. And Jarrett Wilson's title, official title. Is, and this it, is, the is, first, it, is it Wilson or is it Wishon? Wishon, excuse me, Wishon. Jarrett Wishon. Okay. And his title is assistant to head coach. And I don't believe I've ever heard of anyone holding that position before. Assistant to the head coach. Now, here's what's really interesting. And, John, I'm sure you have much better understanding of what this person's going to do than I do. But his background was he was a police chief or police detective, and he worked for the ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. For a and number of years. For a number of years. Yeah. And he is an assistant to the head coach. So what do you suppose Mr. Wishon's primary responsibilities are, John? Because I don't think he's going to be the guy in uniform that accompanies him across the field to shake hands so no terrorists attack him. You know, on the field. You know, I was I was trying to think about this, and it just hit me, Todd. What his job is? His job is to keep people's shit in line, right? I mean, my God, I you know I don't I in order to be a police detective, I'm pretty sure you have to work up your ranks. I don't think you. At least all I know about that is, um, you know, every cop show I've ever watched, where you you're a guy that wears a uniform on the street, and then you move up and get promoted to detective. So I assume he had to do you know footwork or beat stuff, and then you move up and be a detective. 
And then a special agent and criminal investigator uh, with the ATF from 2014 until basically last March. So it's, uh, I, I just think it's very interesting. I, I would guess a guy like that, really, I'm not even making that up. It's, you know, if I say uh, to keep people in shit in line, maybe he is honest to God, like a guy that's probably has good insight to people. You know what I mean? I mean? When you're a policeman, you have to investigate or you have to go through all, I would assume you have to learn all the profiling stuff and you have to have a pretty keen mind about dealing with people. And that's basically what a head coach is going to do. I would guess that his job is basically going to uh, be like that guy that whispers in the, the head guy's ear and just says stuff about people he's working with. So I thought, I thought his background was very interesting. Now, he did... I can't remember what uh, did he go to Temple and I, wherever he was played at, he played college ball and he grabbed he graduated with a criminology degree. So obviously, he didn't you know go right into coaching. He went into criminology stuff and used his degree and then he came over. You know maybe he's one of those guys that said uh, screw this, I want to go coach. Well, I I think he also might be that guy who's going to control who has contact with Matt Rule and who doesn't. Um, you know, and, it, and not that, not as if, you know, people are just going to charge up, at, you know, and, 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 you know, want to ask Matt Rule for his autograph or questions. And this guy, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, there might be some security, but I, I really believe that he probably will uh, spend a lot of time uh, managing to some extent the schedule of who has access to him. And and when you have access to it would be. I think that was that one guy's job that also left the athletic department, caught a pass in 1997. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, And I've seen, you know. What else stood stood out to you? Well, wait, wait, wait wait a minute. Okay, somebody has asked about Ron Brown. Ron Brown is still listed on the staff on the website as a senior offensive analyst. So. That's what Rodden Brown is doing. Paul Braun has asked a couple of times about uh, Bob Wagner, who yep. I think was supposed to come in as a receivers coach. He is not listed officially on the website, so I don't know what's up with him. Well, I know Bob Wagner is a Texas there. high school coach, and right. um, they already named you know in the in, with the list that came out today, they they did officially name Phil Simpson who's from Homestead, Florida, and a high school football coach down there, and he's going to be a defensive quality control coach. Um, And Matt Rule in the past has brought in high school coaches, you know, especially when he coached at Baylor, he brought in high school coaches. Now, is Bob Wagner, the way I understand it, he sits on the board of the Texas uh, Coaches Association, uh, has quite a bit of influence over the state. You know, let's look at it through clear glasses here. I mean, this is for recruiting contacts. This is to open some doors in the state of Texas uh, to try to, uh, you know, bring more of um, more of the players from down there back up to Nebraska. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, another, another <laughs> onside kick coach. Roger Moore says, is there an onside kick coach? Uh, we Maybe there is. Maybe, you know, they have enough guys here. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, offensive analysts, 
senior defensive analyst, senior offensive analyst, defensive quality control, offensive quality control. Uh, you know, I get the strength and conditioning. You got two strength and conditioning coaches here. Look, and then, you know, the assistant coaches for positions and things like that. But the did all these people start hiring all these people just because uh, Nick Saban had a crap ton of analysts? I, I, think, and- I think that's why. I mean, you know, Nick Saban changed the sport with all these analysts. I mean, you know, and we're going to talk about another one here in a minute. But, you know, what what Nick Saban figured out is he can bring in all of these other coaches. And even though they don't coach on the field, what they spend a crap load of time doing is breaking down film. And, you know, they're breaking down film and grad assistants are doing that well, but they're analyzing film. And so, you know, some of those guys who are serving in those capacities, you know, they're looking three, four or five games down the road. And they're also reflecting on their own teams, you know, like at Alabama, they're scouting Alabama, you know, and, and doing it from a different kind of a lens. So, you know, it's become very, very complex. Now, we said that there's another name that has been that really kind of surprised us from the standpoint that um, Nebraska football now has a general manager. Another term that I have not heard associated with a college athletic program. Scott, or excuse me, Sean Payton is the general manager for the Nebraska football team. And he came from a corporate background where he was a corporate account manager at Bentley Systems and an institutional representative for Forest Pharmaceuticals. So here you're bringing in a general manager with you know a wealth of experience outside of athletics. But the thing that's confusing to me is what is it that he's going to do? Because in professional sports, the general manager is generally the guy who deals with contracts and oversees the scouting and makes, you know, and assembles the team and assembles the coaching staff, sometimes with input from the head coach, sometimes not. So general manager for a college football team, that, that's got me intrigued. Well, maybe he's going to be the guy that, you know, he's going to be the guy that interfaces with the nail collectives from the business standpoint. You know, because there was a rumor and allegedly thing that happened with some other guy that did was here where the players had some nil stuff going on, but weren't getting allegedly weren't getting allegedly paid. So maybe his job is to make sure that everything's copacetic because, I mean, if you want a guy to not play well, have his mind questioning things that he shouldn't be questioning. You know, have him thinking about his girlfriend or something before he walks on the field or if he's going to get paid this week. Those are not good things that you want. You you don't want your people worrying about those if they've had promises made to them because people should be keeping their promises, you know. So well, that's that makes job. a lot of sense, too, you know, having somebody that is in charge of that. Um, and, and so, that you know, John, that makes perfect sense to me that that might be part of this guy's responsibilities. I mean, you know, we, I mentioned that I think college football is going to become much more NFL-like. And yeah. this is kind of a, you know, it's a sign. And I mean, sure. if you if you got the money and you got that, I mean, I kind of look at this, you know, with a, if, my, if I put on my old cranky old man cover on, <laughs> persona on, and I go, ah, get off my lawn, my, my 
first reaction to this is, why do we need so many guys? We had like four of us, and we forged the trail to the Western lands, you know, years ago in 1845 or whatever it was. I don't know. But then I look at it and I go, you know, if you have the money and you can have these people doing different things for you, and this is what it takes to win, I mean, that's kind of where we're at, isn't it? You know, putting together. You, you can either do that or kind of be uh, Kirk Ferenc and just, rawr, rawr. <laughs> There Nobody's you go. ever going to fire me. I'm Kirk Ferenz. Oh, my son coaches for me. Oh, six games, six wins is good. And, you know, teams like Iowa, I think they're just, they are going to get left. You know? you know, we've had a few people we, reading the comments here. I think we've got another topic to, to address here for a few minutes. Um, and that's hockey at Nebraska. Um, We've heard this for the last four or five years. People have wondered whether Nebraska is going to have a hockey program. Nebraska does have a hockey program. It is a club sport, and they've had that for quite a few years. Um, you know, they play in the ice box, I think, um, or maybe they play down. I don't know. Maybe they play down by Haymarket Park. Um, you know, do we think that UNL will ever get a varsity men's hockey team? No, I do not believe that they will. And, you know, I'm going to – I'll give you a few reasons why I think that. Number one, uh, there was all kinds of rumor going on years ago that when Tom Osborne was the um, athletic director at Nebraska and UNO dropped their football and wrestling programs, that uh, UNL would not compete with UNO's hockey program because that was what was going to take UNO to the Division One level. I mean, that's that was going to be their baby. And, um, you know, so there was kind of a hands-off mentality as far as UNL getting into the, the Division One hockey business. Now, that could have been all rumor and innuendo. I have no idea if, that, if there's any truth to that at all. But there, there has to be truth to some of that, at least in my belief. The other thing what? is, is – Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, well, I don't think Trev Alberts, now that he's in a position of authority at Nebraska, I don't think Trev Alberts, I, I don't think he's going to put together or advocate for a varsity hockey program simply because of what was built at UNO. I think he probably still has some loyalty there. And, um, you know, first of all, there's no high school hockey in the right. state of Nebraska. There, there are some high school level teams that compete you know, in some non-school affiliated leagues. Um, but you, you, you can't subsidize or support two Division One hockey teams in a state that doesn't have any kind of a feeder system. I understand that UNO is surviving, but two teams that would be heavily dependent upon bringing in athletes from out of state. That's the other just thing. It. I, I, I don't, we don't have the players for hockey. I mean, put it this way. I live in Minnesota, the state of hockey, the hockey state. There are six rinks probably within 10 miles of my house. Six. And that's not including winter when everybody just scrapes off parts of lakes and they turn it into ice rinks for the, you know, hockey playing and stuff like that. So if you're going to have hockey players that are your own, you're going to have to have ice time. And ice time around here, even with all the rinks we have, is always filled up. Because everybody wants to skate, everybody wants to play hockey, everybody wants to do that kind of stuff on the ice. Uh, I've never been on ice skates. My kids ice skate, did ice skating though for a while. 
Yeah. Anyway, it's hard. I think it's hard. But uh, that's my big thing with the Nebraska starting their own hockey team. Well, people have pointed out club. We do have a club team that is hockey, and you'd have Title IX implications. Yeah. And you know, if you're going to add another men's sport. And, you know, Nebraska you know, Nebraska doesn't do a bad job with Title IX, and I thought that they've done a nice job with the 50th anniversary of Title IX, recognizing some trailblazers in Nebraska. But by the law, Nebraska is not compliant with Title IX. Um, you know, and so if they added hockey, they'd need to add more women's sports. Well, okay, there's women's hockey, so add men's hockey, add women's hockey. You know what? Right now, if if Nebraska was serious about trying to get closer to level, they'd add women's wrestling. Nebraska already has a wrestling program uh, for men. Uh, women's wrestling is one of the fastest growing sports in the country at the college level. Um, they could add women's wrestling, and that would put them closer to compliance. And uh, you could share facilities to to a large extent. So, yeah. I just, I, you know, if they build more rinks. I mean, you have to kind of can make a commitment to a certain level. Tyler yeah. O'Connor says, uh, you would be surprised how many Nebraska kids play hockey. I, I don't know if I would play D1 hockey. I don't think I would. I mean, when I was young, my nephews in the winter up by Arnold would scrape off part of a lake or some damn thing and play hockey. So I'm certain it's a hot popular sport. The problem is, is if – Put it this way: If Nebraska started a Big Ten hockey team, where are they going to fit in that hierarchy? Are they are they going to be competitive with the rest of the Big Ten hockey teams? Because you're looking at, you know, Minnesota, just Minnesota, and then Minnesota, and then you've got all these other teams that have, you know, hockey players in their state, and they're going to pick up their own hockey players. So, I don't, I understand. We've had this question over the years that. Uh, you know, at coronation. And it's, I never, I think I asked the athletic department once years ago and they were kind of like, you know, under the table question, you know, not, it's just not, it's the logistics doesn't work. It's just not enough resources for him to do it. And then like Todd said, the whole thing about UNO having hockey, I honestly, University of Nebraska, Lincoln, University of Nebraska, Omaha. I mean, it's changed since I went there. They even call that Carney place. A university now, so it's all one system. I mean, we, maybe we just take on UNO hockey. And just I want to go to a UNO hockey game. I'm planning on it at some point. Are you? Yeah. I should get out to a game or two up here. Uh, any, where were we? What were we doing? When well, these, when these hockey crazy people came Yeah, over. the hockey crazy Well, hockey people are crazy. They have great mullets. Incredible hairstyle. Um, My kids got hockey jerseys for Christmas. I didn't think they were that big of hockey fans, but suddenly these wild jerseys have been pulled out on FaceTime, of course. Yeah. Uh, You know, we're going to take this from Stephanie Jackson. Stephanie Jackson way earlier, like 83 minutes ago, said the defense is bringing back, I'm spitting, a lot of key contributors without even considering the new guys rule is bringing in. I think they are going to be stingy this season. I won't be surprised if we run off nine. And I think she means run off, uh, you know, nine players. But I, I figured, you know, Stephanie's been here a couple of times. I figured I'd get a comment by her up on the board. Well, 
Very true. You know, they're bringing back some important contributors, you know, to the defense. And when you look at the fact that, um, I, you know, the, the thing that worried me the most about what's transpired, you know, since the end of the season and, um, you know, going through the process of hiring the new coach um, on the defense was, would there be depth at linebacker and were they going to be able to get more depth in the defensive line? And, you know, at least, and, and, you know, you're not going to play in all likelihood, true freshmen are not going to contribute along the line unless they're just freaks, but they are bringing in, five defensive linemen and they're bringing in four linebackers. Um, so I, I, you know, they're looking at that depth issue. I think the defense will be very strong next year and, you know, they're going to have new coaching. They're going to be playing in a new system. Um, it, th that might be somebody that um, is really, really exciting to watch play. Um so, yeah, I would agree with, with what Stephanie has to say. Do you think the offense or the defense will be better next year, Todd? I think, completely I, think, huh? I think both of them are going to be better. Why, which one's going to be the better one? We didn't uh, prepare for anything like I that. I think the we? defense is probably going to be better. Do you? So, yeah, I it's think so. It's the line, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. Hey, Tyler's got a good question there. Let's throw this one up. Uh, you mean this one? Where Tyler O'Connor yeah. says, John, Todd, who's your favorite recruit we got so far? You go first. <laughs> well, I think the, the, the uh, I mean, the easy answer is going to be Malachi Coleman, whose name is spelled Malachi or pronounced Malachi, but for some reason my brain keeps spitting out Malachi, which Malachi? is. Malachi? Yeah, it's just bizarre. <laughs> I mean, there's a Malik. God, forget it. Uh, my struggle. Being the biblical was, scholar that you are, I would certainly think you'd have Malachi down. Yeah, you'd think so. Uh, you know, part of it has become because uh, when you're around up here, there's this college up here that's real for real expensive people, real rich people. Uh, Macalaster. Macalaster. Yeah. yeah. And if you say it like that, they get really pissed off. And it's really fun instead of McAllister. Right. Anyway, right. anyway, the easy answer is Malachi Coleman. But I'm going to go with that Quentin Ives kid because I just think he's a weird kid. That I just The whole idea that he didn't have any stars, he was never rated, nobody even knew he existed except for Matt Rule, the recruiting genius. Yeah. I, he probably is coming into a place where he's not going to see the field next year or the year after that because there's a lot of players above him. But, you know, I just – the whole underdog thing, the whole come out of nowhere, make a name for yourself thing, it's strong in me, you know, just like America, Todd. There you go. There you go. Well, my favorite is Ben Scott from Arizona State, the center, because it appears as if – okay, so Trent Hickson is gone. Uh, center position is going to be up for grabs. You're going to bring in a guy who has two years of experience playing center, um, you know, at a Division One Power Five conference school. Now, I understand that we had high hopes for that Anthony kid from Oklahoma State last year, and he struggled at times, Hunter Anthony. But I think that this Ben Scott is the real deal, and to be able to put him in to the center of that offensive line and anchor them there, I think that's huge. Um, you know, 
I, I think a common belief has been we needed to bring in some portal players. We needed to bring in some more offensive linemen. I, I have said, I've been on the record here saying, I think that the coaching staff is going to continue to develop some of the young players that we have. But, you know, this way you've got a guy that's been under fire. He's going to be the center and anchor that on offensive line. I think, I think that's my favorite player that they brought in. Now, do you, uh, there was a guy on YouTube, uh, I did a video on Ben Scott, and there was a guy on YouTube who was an Arizona State fan who said uh, Ben Scott was mediocre. And well, my, my reaction to that was, woo, mediocre? Shit, that's better than we've had for, for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think mediocre starting center – Fine to just start the next season. What the hell? Uh, okay. Should we just keep taking questions? Yeah, let's take Tony's up there. The one that Tony, just came in. Uh, Tony Walashin, is Nebraska okay with starting the football season every year with a conference game? Well? Well, I don't like it, but uh, I'm going to qualify it. Personally, I believe when the Big Ten expands and brings in UCLA and USC, let's play big boy football and get rid of all the non-conference games. Play everybody within the conference. Don't bring in some of these fuddy-duddy FCS teams or Division II teams. Play Big Ten teams, 12 Big Ten teams. Boom, boom, boom. But that being said, since we do play non-conference games <laughs> – no, I do not like to watch Big Ten teams play the first game of the year against each other. And, you know, at least what I've seen at Nebraska, even going back to the days of Tom Osborne, the great Tom Osborne, Nebraska always needs a few games to work out the kinks. I when when we were in college in the 80s, they did some schedule rearrangement and they moved the Oklahoma State game up to the first game of the season. And Tom Osborne then scheduled a non-conference game in front of that. So, you know, there's something to be said about playing a non-conference game and getting your feet on the ground before you have to jump into one that has high stakes. I think I, you know what, I would be okay with us playing a team like Minnesota or Purdue or somebody like that at the first game of the season. If I had confidence that our coach was going to actually be prepared, and my problem with starting at Northwestern uh, last year is because that the other guy, I didn't feel like he ever prepared for anything. So, I mean, I felt like that for two years. So, I don't know. I, you kind of get the idea. I mean, let's face it, all this stuff's about money, right? We're going to show a non-conference here. We're going to show a conference game to start the year because it's going to get TV ratings. And we sold our soul to those people to get all this money to hire these 18 different analysts and, and an assistant to the head coach who's going to keep sh people shit together and shit <laughs> in line. It's shit to in line. Uh, and then a general manager, I mean, if we're going to have all the money to hire all those people, I suppose it has to come from somewhere. Blaine Cole from Japan, I assume he's still in Japan, uh, his, he says, historically speaking, weren't the first two games of the season like warm-up or preseason games? To, to some extent they have been, but then 
there have been quite a few seasons where the first game has been kind of a warm-up game, and then they jump into the fire. I remember times when they – well, they went out to Arizona State the second game of the year and got beat. They played Penn State the second yep. game of the year. Um, I remember in 1981 – when they played Penn State and Auburn, both of those schools non-conference. Right. And that just happened to be an Auburn Auburn team that had a gentleman by the name of Bo Jackson playing for him. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's frustrating. I, I hate to see him play three walkovers. I mean, I hate that. Yeah. But, you know, they've had, they've you know, at least recent scheduling. I mean, we've had Oklahoma play in non-conference. We've had Notre Dame in non-conference. We've had – Oregon non-conference. We've had USC non-conference, at least, you know, in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, it's kind of nice to see some of those teams. So, you know, get a cupcake for the first game, play a decent team the second game, and get a moderate team the third game. Then you ought to be firing on all cylinders so that you can take on the, the Big Ten. Mel 91 says Florida State. Were you there? I remember that game. I remember. I remember us. Was it eighteen to fourteen? We lost to them. Nineteen eighty. What was it? Four, three, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. I turned to the guy next to me and I said, "Florida State is a rising program, just rising up. You can just see this." And that was the you know Bobby Bowden years later thanked us for allowing him to get a jump start with his program and by beating Nebraska at home, which is something we never. That never happened, but yeah, Florida State. I mean, uh, Tony comes back and says he prefers a cupcake for the first game. Uh, maybe, maybe you would like some cheese balls for the first game. <laughs> I'll try to have more props for the shows going forward. I don't know what they'll be. Um, okay, I had some pinned messages. Blaine Cole, or yeah, Blaine Cole says, "Is Coleman that tall, or is Rule that short?" Yes, uh, Coleman is a very big guy, so I don't think Matt Rule is a huge person. I don't know what size he is, but uh, Malaki. <laughs> God, I'm gonna have to get this out of my head. Malachi Coleman is a very, very large person. Um, okay, favorite recruit. We covered that. Uh, let's see. Hammy says, any update on that Rayola kid? He has a 2024 commit. So, I mean, even if he committed now, you know, he has a whole year to go through this. <clears throat> Rule is I haven't heard anything. James Borman says, Rule is an Ewok, as I recall. And as everybody knows, Ewoks are pretty, pretty short, pretty small in stature. So, you know, it could be that Malachi... <laughs> <laughs> that Malachi Coleman is, uh, you know, not as big as everybody thinks he is. I'm gonna have to really work on this because stuff gets stuck in my head and it's not very easy to get it out of there. Uh, 80, okay, James Worman has this. 81 was I, Iowa. We lost to Iowa. Remember in 81 we went 0 and 2 and everybody went completely batshit insane and wanted Tom Osborne fired and burned the stake and his house burned down. And we really did. I remember that. Uh, 81 was Iowa, Florida State, Penn State, and Auburn. Wow. Yeah, that's back when we actually didn't play all these tiny teams where we just uh, 
whoops, love the props. Thanks, Roger. <laughs> you know, we, we, I mean, somebody, the FCAS people want their money too. And I'm guessing that when they look at all this and the NCAA is together, they probably look at this and this, the FCS people look at them and go, uh, you guys are leaving us in the dust. We don't have ways to fund our programs. You're making everything more expensive by expectation setting. Either give us some money or, you know, deal with the consequences, which I don't know, maybe they'd call Congress in on top of them or something. But, you know, every, every law somewhere gets uh, started because some alumni something gets pissed off about some inequity somewhere, doesn't it? Uh, and that's why Baylor came to the Big 12. That's exactly it. Okay, do we have any more? Roger Moore says, get the onside kick out of the way the first two games. Good point. Maybe that was a, you know, that was the big thing there. Uh, let me go back to my big list of things to see if we we got through everything. We did. And we're coming up on an hour. So... Anything else? Oh, you know what? Let's. David Matney asked very early on any chance of Coach Rule making a call-in appearance on Coronation. Uh, you know, probably not. I have really. Here's the thing: since the Minnesota on the field thing, I haven't asked for a credential, and I don't. I I kind of like not kind of keeping myself at a distance. Uh, I don't really know what the athletic department thinks of me. Uh, I am. I I will say this. I noticed what was it, some issue that came out where, you know, Matt Rule talked about how he liked Donovan Riola's technique of coaching offensive line because that's what he did, and take different techniques on the offensive line. And I have thought about uh, you know maybe trying to interview some guys I know that would help us understand either offensive line play or different position group plays. So maybe we'll work on that. And uh, that's I but. Matt Rule, I see he did Adam Carricker, you know, but that's because Adam is a, he's a Nebraska he's a guy. former player. You know, yeah, hey, he's also very knowledgeable, so. And, and you know what, we need to recognize, Lonnie Kittleman has thrown up here, as some other people have brought up, you know, about women's basketball. Uh, they're sitting at 10-3. and three. Um, They beat a ranked Kansas team the other day in three overtimes. I think somebody asked the question if we watched the game. No, I didn't watch the game. What I was doing was I was following Slack, which is where the coordination staff, we kind of communicate on Slack. And I just kept, well, we're going to overtime. Oh, my God, second overtime. So I was kind of following along on Slack. I have no idea what I was doing at the time. But, no, I didn't watch the Kansas game. But I'll tell you what, it, after reading the wrap-up, that sounded like just a crazy hell of a good women's basketball game. And, you know, we've got a couple of, of people that pay a lot of attention that they're, you know, they're good writers. Jill Heemstra does a lot of the writing for the women's basketball program for coordination. And, um, you know, Amy Williams is kind of getting back into that same groove where she was at a year ago and this team starting to play together. And it appears to me, just from what I've read, bringing on that, I think the last name's Mendelssohn, uh, the gal who played on the volleyball team. I mean, everybody, I mean, this kid moved up her graduation date so she could come to the University of Nebraska. So she's young for a freshman in the first place. She 
had some moments on the volleyball floor. And, you know, with 10 days of practice, she made a difference on the basketball court. I mean, holy smoke, this gal, she's got athleticism and talent just oozing out of every pore. Have, have you – you haven't watched any bowl games, have you? I have not watched any bowl games yet. Not all the way through. I've watched 15 total minutes. Well, by next week, when we do next Monday, we'll have – maybe we'll – well, let's see, December 26th. You know, the Big Ten should start playing in the next few days, so we'll have some bowl games to talk about next week. Um, you guys, I'll tell you what. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button on this video on YouTube and, and encourage people to subscribe so we get more followers and uh, we, we increase the size of our cult. <laughs> well, we can talk football playoffs next week a little bit. and uh, That's um, true. Yeah. And, and uh, answer the questions the best we can. We're here. We're here because we like Nebraska sports and we love to commiserate with other Nebraska fans. This is true. This is very true. Uh, are, are you all done with Christmas? Yeah, I'm, I'm all done. All done. I go back to the real world tomorrow. Got to work. Oh, wait, wait. Did I, I didn't show this. This is a white elephant gift. I see where people have white elephant gifts that are useful. This I got at a... A staff party. I want you to think about this. Can you hear the music? Memories. You know what it is? Memories, wasn't it? Yeah, the way we were. Yeah, the way we were. Okay, okay. think about this. this. is a, for people on podcast, this is a I, I kind of a brass outhouse where you turn a crank, the front door opens, you observe a man standing in this little brass outhouse. Is about <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's a guy going to the bathroom in the outhouse. Now, I want you to think about what who conceived this? And then they stuck an air fresher on the outside of it. Who conceived this and then decided, no, use the way we were. For you know, music. I think I, I, it, you, you can put it all together. It looks like it's a young man using the outhouse. And as older gentlemen, we can appreciate the power we had when we were young men. In I want you to look at the guy. Look, can you see the guy? Yeah. He's blonde, Todd. <laughs> Blaine Cole from uh, Japan says, is that SF inside? Uh, I maybe if I understood what SF stood for, I could possibly answer that question. But there's a strong indication that perhaps maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> John, we better hang it up. Yeah, we better. Uh, okay, well, it's not quite New Year's next next time, is it? It will be past New Year's next time. Oh my God, we'll be into 2023. I guess we'll have more things to talk about. I guess we will. <laughs> okay. You know what? Good night, Todd. Well, Happy New Year's, John, and good night to you, too.